message for the new year, 2021, the year of our Lord. Normally we have the tendency to start the new year with a sense of adventure. As we march on in time, a new year brings uh, excitement and possibilities and as well as, of course, the obvious apprehensions that might come. Feel like a bit like explorers going into a new area, trying to make uh, new discoveries in an unknown land, because we don't know what lies ahead. It could be perils, it could be joys, many things. But these are not normal times. The past year started uh, with some devastating bushfires. You remember that? Drought, wasn't raining. Then in March, February, March, the worldwide pandemic started to hit and we're still having to adjust our lives accordingly. And this is the reality of the world that we live in, having to adjust. We have to adjust to the new normal. Now, the 20th Psalm is is wonderfully suitable for, I think, an occasion such as this because this is a a song that the people of Israel sang when the king went into battle with his armies. And before he went out, they, they sang this psalm as a prayer for his safety and for victory. It wasn't just another nostalgic rendition of Old Lang Syne, you know, it was a genuine, it was a genuine prayer. It was an expression of their faith, a song of trust in the power of the living God who would keep the king and his armies in the midst of a worrying battle, a desperate battle. And so we're going to look at the psalm and and we're going to look into, into three areas. The major area is verses 1 to 5 and then the last uh, two towards the end are a little bit shorter. So the people's prayer for the king in verses 1 to 5. The people's prayer for the king. First of all, protection in verse 1. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress and may the God, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Right from the start there is uh, watching the, the Lord of the Rings, the trilogy. Who remembers that? An epic movie with uh, numerous big battle scenes. And that, I think that was released around about this time, wasn't it? End of year. But for me, I don't know whether you picked this up or not, but for me the most emotional scenes of the movie are when they are preparing to go in, on a long journey or they are preparing to go into battle. The other emotional scene is when they are coming back from battle. Before the battle, they are saying their goodbyes, uncertain if they will ever see their loved ones again. And then when they return from battle, the loved ones are running through the soldiers and others trying to see if their loved ones have actually survived, have actually come back home. Thankfully, in Australia, we haven't had to do that for a while. But there was a time, and some of you were alive when that was the normal, right? You didn't know. There was no, uh, no smartphones. You, you, 
didn't actually know and in what condition your loved ones would come, whether they'll be maimed or whether, how will they be, in what state. Only God knows what dangers lay ahead for us and only God is truly able to come to our aid in a distressing situation. But what made the difference between Israel and their enemies was not their skill as fighters, but it was directly related to their relationship with God. It was their God. Interesting that he says here the God of Jacob. Jacob or Israel. The, the manoeuvrer, the manipulator, the wheeler dealer. Uh, he always, he thought he had to, the only way that he would survive is by manoeuvring everybody in order to bring uh, the situation around his way. And for the first part of his life, he depended upon his wits, his wisdom, his cunning, in order to get the blessing, to make the, the deal, to accomplish what he wanted. Until, of course, you know, he confronted, well, his, his father-in-law got the best of him. But obviously God was using all of those things in order to teach him a lesson. God had a way to set Jacob free from that way of thinking. God taught him a lesson after a painful lesson through the years to abandon that way of life, that way of thinking, and to come to trust him and worship him. It took him a long, long time to learn those lessons in life. Maybe... You and I are getting a bit long in the tooth and, you know, the, the hair is falling off. And the, I wonder if we still got lessons to learn or you think that you've learned all the lessons that God has for you. How's it going? How's school going? Having to adjust through all these things and the changing times that we live in. Well, if you're still breathing, if you're still alive, even if you're breathing through a mask, that means that God still has some lessons for you to learn. I think uh, those lessons will still be taught and hopefully learnt until you're six foot under. Or whatever way you wish to be, you know, released from your burdens. What do you and I do when we are in distress? We usually start making phone calls and manoeuvre things to accomplish what we want. But many times, as we know, it's a bit like quicksand. It's a bit like uh, trying to repair the, uh, the washing machine and, you know, you have a go and you have another go and until you sort of say, I'm, I'm actually making a mess here. I'm actually making more damage than uh, until the wife says, you know, um, why don't we just call somebody who actually knows what they're doing? You know what blokes are like. If God is our refuge, we need to come to him first, not last. And which is what we find in verse 2. Support. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. Verse 2. The people also pray that God would grant Support from Zion. Zion is another name for Jerusalem, the capital of the kingdom. Uh, in a broader for reinforcements to fight the battle. 
And, and we know from the scriptures that God sends his ministering angels to hell when his people are in distress. He sent his angels to Elijah after Mount Carmel. He sent Jesus' help after his, the angels came after 40 days in the desert and in Gethsemane. In each case, they prayed to God for help in distress. God sends his help. And the sanctuary for us is a place where we meet with God. In Israel, for the Israelites, it was the temple, the place where the Israelites came to get their thinking straight, to get their thinking corrected. There, the Israelite would meet with God. He heard the word of God, the mind and the thoughts of God as the scriptures were read. For us, the sanctuary is where two or three are gathered in his name. We also receive help from the sanctuary. That's why we are gathered here. The sanctuary is when we open the Bible, read what God is saying to us. The Bible tells us the way the world is, not the way it appears to be, not the way that the Our leaders sometimes portray it, unrealistic and totally optimistic. Because life is filled with illusion, with deceit. Things are not as they appear to be. But the moment you open the scriptures, it tells you the way things are. And I think that's actually one of the reasons why people don't like to open the Bible, because it's so realistic. The car breaks down on the road, we call the NRMA. When things go wrong with us, who do we call? People are depressed, distressed, things go wrong in life and the Bible remains unopened with all its promises unclaimed, with all the help that God has for us in his word and it remains closed, unread. I, I want to challenge you to make this year, with all the uncertainty that is going on, to make it a year where you take reading God's Word something seriously, not just something that you do on a, on a Sunday. That it is something that you will... Try and actually do. There's only, we're only in the third day of the year. What if you make a, uh, make a move and say, I'm going to read the Bible in this, the whole Bible this year? Why don't, why, why don't you do that? Let God's Word talk to you. He does that. May He grant you support from Zion, from the holy place. God is, is, is from his sanctuary. He wants to talk to you directly through his word. Why don't, we, why, don't, why don't we use what God has given us? Yeah, I know. I've heard it all before. I've read it before. No. I've, I've, some of the, some of the, the saints, uh, I think George Muller, 
who ran the orphanages in the 1800s, he read the Bible like 200 times from page cover to cover. We desperately need to be committed. Just as much as God is committed to us, we need to be committed to Him for His glory. For us, the sanctuary is when we pray to God, open our hearts before Him, and no matter what the situation is, God will be there with us. Daniel was far away from Zion. He opened his windows and he prayed to God. That was his sanctuary when he prayed to God. Even though it was highly illegal at the time, he prayed to God. To him, that's the the spot, that was the time that he entered into God's sanctuary. Paul and Silas, they were in prison, singing while they were chained. Because the praises to God are not chained, God is not chained, they were free. Where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. That was our first reading. So it doesn't matter what is chaining you. You, you. you could be in a hospital bed and still be free. They turned a prison into a sanctuary. And we who are roaming free, do you think you're too busy for God? Think again. Acceptance. Acceptance, verse 3. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. Selah. The offerings of Israel were the meal offerings, the cereal offerings, the sacrifices of bulls and goats and lambs and calves and pigeons and animals and the rest. What did they mean? Well, these sacrifices were the way by which they expressed their thankfulness to God on the one hand and also sacrifices for the sins that they committed to obtain forgiveness. But they all pointed to the ultimate sacrifices of Jesus. These were the forerunners to Calvary. In the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, our sins and guilts were taken care of completely. So there is no hindrance at all of God's mercy and ministry to us. Therefore, he can pour it out without restraint no matter what we have done. As we confess our sins, we receive forgiveness of his grace. When we beg for forgiveness, when we ask for forgiveness, it's not an application form that waits, you know, you have to wait a month or two to receive an answer for it. No. Sorry, we can't forgive your sins this time. But make sure you reply again. That would be good. What a wonderful promise, right? That we need to take full advantage of God's forgiveness for our sins. And the writer here says, Selah, uh, at this point. Now, in the, in the NIV, it is placed uh, in between the verses, this statement, this word, Selah. In, in Hebrew, it is part of the actual text itself. It is included within the text. It means, uh, many, many have struggled to understand what Selah means, but, it makes, but the best definition, I think, is it means stop and think. 
pause for a moment and think about this. Don't just rush through in a hurry, but meditate, absorb it. Pause. Don't be in a hurry. And the Bible is inundated, I think, with wonderful statements such as this. And as you read the Scriptures, there will be those verses that will jump out of the page and that will speak to you in your situation. What is God saying to me right now? And capture it. Stop, reflect. Don't rush it. And when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. It is not a magic formula. It's something that you tack at the end of the, the prayer to make it work. In Jesus' name, may finish work of Calvary. And that you are come expectant before God and, and you expect him to answer your prayers. This is why the psalmist says, may he remember those sacrifices. If there is one sacrifice that the Father will remember is the sacrifice of his Son for you and me. Verse 4, success. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Uh, Sounds like a, a wonderful New Year's wish to our friends and family, doesn't it? Like something that comes out of Hallmark cards. It's much better than that. It comes out of Scripture. The opposite desire of this, of course, is you wish, may you fail in all your desires, you know, and may you fail at everything you try this year. You ever had that wish on somebody? Maybe your neighbours. No, no. You don't wish that on anybody. That just makes you mean and nasty. We have to wish the best for our brothers and sisters, for our family. And, and, and I know a verse like this can be so misinterpreted very quickly, especially in the prosperity arena, isn't it? May he give you the desires of your heart. Oh, I want a Ferrari. All your plans succeed. I'm going to choose all the lotto numbers and that will be my success. But you see, when our hearts are soaked in his word and in prayer, we will do what God wants us to do, what he wants. His desires become our desires because we are soaking in it, in his word. Basically, every believer in Jesus should want what God wants. It shouldn't be that hard. One spirit with him. And then celebration, the next verse. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and we will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord, again, grant all your requests. The psalmist here pictures a group who are gathered together to lift up their banners in celebration. This is the gathering of believers. The victory, this a triumphant occasion. Victories, but victory as a whole, not the celebration of the individual. Everybody together. 
You're not going to win your victories on your own. Irrespective of what area you speak of, you have to rely on others. It's like the um, it's like the turtle on top of the post, right? You have to ask yourself, how did it get there? <laughs> the turtle never got on the post by its own. Somebody put it there. Others have to be part of your success, of your accomplishments. There are many who have entered into the battle with you, sharing the blood, sweat and tears. I can tell you that now. And for that I am eternally grateful. Therefore, whatever we do as a church, it's us. It's our joy. It's our victory. It's our accomplishment. This is the church. And when we come together as 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 a church as this, and I hope that we can still continue next week and the week after with all the restrictions that are going on, because it's a bit like the cricket or the footy and others. It's what you, you saw some of these telecasts where they're, they're, they're playing a, a football match and they've got these dummy figures right on, around the stadium. The eyes aren't moving, by the way, but because uh, they're trying to create an atmosphere. Now, I can do this on a Sunday morning and I can put all these dummies in front of me and, and I'll say, yeah, I start. But I've got real people. Isn't that great? It creates the atmosphere for worship and praise. It's not the same back to that. Hopefully not. But it's not the same as coming together. We have to desire this. We have to expect to, to, to want to come together. And that's what David is describing here. This is what a church meeting is like. Time when we rejoice and, and, and celebrate the victory through Jesus Christ when we take part in communion. There is a sharing of the body of Christ. And then in verses 6 to 8, we have the king's response, verses 6 to 8. Now, I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. He has not even gone into battle yet, and yet here he is already declaring with confidence what is going to happen. That is the mark of a Christian. Pastor Ray Stedman, the late pastor, once said, And I quote, a Christian is one who is completely fearless, continually cheerful and constantly in trouble. End of quote. The king is declaring he's not afraid. Now I know, he says. Now I know. You have reminded me of all his promises and now I know that the Lord will help his anointed. That word anointed means king, the one anointed king. But the Bible also says that we are kings and priests. 
We are also God's anointed. And it's the same word that is used for the word Messiah. And you are God's Messiah in, in this day. No, no, you are not the Messiah, okay? I know you've got a big head, but no, you're not the Messiah. But we all are little Messiahs, little Christ, which is what a Christian is, is another definition of a Christian. Little Jesuses running around. Bearing all was, we are made into him, into his image. When Paul was uh, once in, again in prison, he was chained to a Roman guard and, and, and things looked really discouraging because he was, appear, he was about to appear before Nero uh, and it doesn't look like there's much of a chance that he's, uh, he's going to survive. Nevertheless, this is what he writes from prison in Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. Yes, and I will rejoice. I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honoured in my body. What does that mean? You're going to be released? Not necessarily whether by life or by death. See? Whether I make it out of this alive or not, it doesn't matter. As long as Christ is honoured in my life. That is a great statement. And I think this is something that we should all emulate, whatever happens. Whether we are here this time next year, alive or dead, whether Christ has come or not, that Christ might be honoured. And that is whatever happens, God will express himself through you and me. That should be our desire. And what a marvellous sense of confidence the king has. And along, along with, with it, he, he rejects the false. And this is what he says in, in, in verses 7 to 8. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. As with all the things that they throw at us, there is, you know, as with most things, there's generally nothing wrong with them except that they, they're not adequate for the tasks. A lot of people at this time of year, they, they check on their super accounts and their bank accounts and to see how the last year they've done their work. And companies do this, individuals do this. How did we do financially? and whether it was a successful year or a bad year, and so on. But it's like everything, isn't it? That new car that you wanted, it made you happy for a moment, didn't it, when you were smelling the new car? It made you happy for a moment. But it will not stay that way, will it? The experience tells us that even though the ads promise, oh, what a feeling... The feeling does not last. I'm sorry, your $45,000, it won't last. I'm sorry. It's temporary. Chariots break down. You have to feed your horses. 
You know, you have to maintain them. Sometimes you have to call the vet because they get sick in the middle of the road. You have to oil the axles. But don't trust chariots. Don't trust horses. Trust the name of the Lord our God. So as you face 2021, what will you trust in? Of course there are many equivalents to these horses and chariots and cars. Some trust in education. But I will rely on the Lord my God for my wisdom. Some trust in money. But I will rely on the Lord my God to supply all my needs. Or in the current times, some put their trust on medical advice. But I will trust in the Lord my God for my health. Our confident expression should sound something like this. I will listen and follow good advice, but I am not going to put my full trust in man. I will trust ultimately in the working of the Lord my God in life or in death. And then verse 9, a cry for salvation, our last point. O Lord, save the king, answer us when we call. It's almost like you want to start singing God save our gracious queen or God, if you lived long enough ago, God save our gracious king before Queen Elizabeth. I think this is a wonderful benediction, triumphant shout, isn't it? The implied promise of continued prayer. The people are saying, give victory to the king as we keep calling upon you, O Lord. Let's pray for one another, for each other's victory. God will continue to supply our needs with all the perils and dangers and battles that lie ahead. Answer us, Lord, when we call. Please. Because we don't know what tomorrow holds. Next month, the whole year. But God knows. He's been there already. And I want to leave you a poem by any Johnson Flint who um, spent more than half a life uh, suffering from crippling arthritis and uh, despite all that she wrote some amazing poems. I want to read you this one. It's titled But God. I know not but God knows O blessed rest from fear, all my unfolding days to him are plain and clear. Each anxious puzzled why, from doubt or dread that grows, finds answer in this thought, I know not, but he knows. I cannot, but God can, O balm for all my care. The burden that I drop, his hand will lift and bear. Though eagle pinions tire, I walk where once I ran. This is my strength to know, I cannot, but he can. I see not, but God sees, O all-sufficient light. My dark and hidden way to him is always bright. My strained and peering eyes 
may close in restful ease, and I in peace may sleep, I see not, but he sees. May our trust in God continue and grow in the coming days and years. Amen.